I'm proud to introduce tonight's moderator, Mr. Aaron Brown. Aaron Brown is the Walter Cronkite Professor of Journalism at Arizona State University and anchor of PBS's Wide Angle. Over 35 years in TV news, he reported stories all over the globe and is best known for his coverage of the September 11th terrorist attacks for CNN, which earned him an Edward R. Murrow Award. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Aaron Brown. We can go home now. Thank you. Um, welcome. It's nice to see you all. I can't, although we're sitting so low, I actually can't see you all. But um, we're glad you're here. Um, I think what we're trying to figure out tonight, in some respects, is who we are. Who we are as a community, what we want to be, what we aspire to be, what uh, stands in our way of that, if things stand in the way of that. And uh, the group who joins us come from different backgrounds and, not surprisingly, different places, because most of us come from somewhere else, which has a way of defining all of the questions that we deal with tonight. So let me introduce them to you. And the one thing, let me add before I do that, is we're going to chat for 30 minutes or so, and then you're going to chat for... 15, 20 minutes or so. So as you have questions, um, if you have questions, okay? If you have speeches, there's another event. <laughs> if you have questions, we, we look forward to entertaining them uh, as we go, okay? Here we go. Wellington Ryder is an architect, an urban designer, an academic administrator, and currently the Senior Vice President of Knowledge Enterprise Architecture at the ASU Foundation. He is responsible for the urban aspects, urban design aspects of the collaboration between the City of Phoenix and ASU at my home in downtown Phoenix, our campus down there, which I think eventually we hope to have about 15,000 kids there, so it's going to be a major center in downtown. Greg Esser is the uh, director of the ASU Art Museum's Desert Initiative, which seeks to connect the desert regions of the world through art and multidisciplinary projects and research. Jonathan Capel is a New Yorker, director of the School of Public Affairs and the Dean of College of Public Programs at Arizona State University. And Michael Christie is the Virginia G. Piper Music Director of the Phoenix Symphony for now. And he is the Music Director of Boulder Summertime Colorado Music Festival. So like some of you, he is a snowbird. He's just a lot younger. <laughs> uh, he'll be leaving us soon for Rochester, Minnesota, where his wife is a doctor at Mayo. It's nice to see you all. Uh, the question here is, are we in danger, or perhaps, maybe it's not danger at all, of becoming L.A.? So let me start there. Duke, are we uh, on our way to becoming, we Phoenix, on our way to becoming L.A.? What's interesting about the question is, and, and Greg will probably know this uh, uh, maybe better, this is a question that's been asked for decades. And it seemed to be very present about 20, 15 years ago, because we were sprawling like crazy, and that's how uh, LA was known, particularly for its smog and other things. And I haven't heard that question posed lately. One could say, we could only be so lucky as to become LA, given many of its assets. And so I think you could consider the question that way. But will we become LA? I don't think there's a chance. I don't think we're oriented in that direction. I think our arrangements are different. And you might even want to compare us to other cities in the United States for a more um, useful 
comparison. So that's um, it's I, interesting. I want to talk about the other cities, but let me just ask one little thing here. Mm -hmm. When you say we are not going to become LA, what is LA? Or what is it that we're not going to become? Right. Because and John and I were talking earlier, it's hard in many respects to figure to answer the question, what is LA, right. let alone what are we? Right. Well, you, you could say the, the, let's use a very, very recent example, uh, uh, Pacific uh, Time, the Pacific Standard Time. Pacific Standard Time, the massive exhibition of visual arts that came out of LA. That's a distinguished history over many decades. Could we do that? That's a defining document that describes what LA is uh, in all of its varieties. And by the way, LA is many things. You're absolutely right. There is no one LA. We're not at the point where we could produce that kind of a document about our art, and I don't know if we will. That's actually an interesting comparison, and the Desert Initiative program is actually, uh, in comparison to the Pacific Standard Time, which mm -hmm. was a dispersed regional biennial, it's a look backward. Right. The Desert Initiative is actually a look forward and really looking mm -hmm. at the future and how we're defining the questions of today and developing works that look toward tomorrow as a region, not just as a, a local municipality. So I think that's so you're suggesting difference. we could be there, and that, I'd like to believe that that's true. I think we can. John, when we were talking about this earlier, you described L.A. as contested. Mm. What, it, what it is is being fought over, right? Is that what you meant? Yes. Talk about that. Well, you posed the question, you posed the question do, does Phoenix have an idea of itself? Um, and I would just, as a, as a parenthetic, something we can come back to is, are we talk, when we talk about L.A., are we talking about L.A. the city, L.A. the county? I think that's a relevant question. Are we talking about Phoenix, the city, or are we talking about Maricopa right. County? I think those are, I think we have to be clear what we actually mean, mean by that, but let's leave that for later. Um, I think that the, the, there are many different LAs, as Duke mm -hmm. was saying, and some people would define LA as the entertainment industry, as you said. Some might harken back to the military-industrial complex as being the center of the Los Angeles region. What might be different is that there's not necessarily a, a set of rivals for what constitutes Phoenix, so much as a lack of a passion about what our center is. Right? And, and that was the supposition that we were talking about. I actually think there is, there is something there, and it has to do with the reasons why people end up here and the things about living here that people embrace, the freedom, the, the sort of ability to do what you want to do without anybody knowing about it and anybody having any ability to say anything about it. Um, that is a defining attribute of life in this area, it, 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 even though it, fe it doesn't feel the same as some of the things that bring people together in, in conventional cities. Right, that's, that is, as I said earlier too, that's the thing I say to my friends all the time, which is Phoenix is Phoenix, and I mean, when I say it, I mean greater Phoenix. Right. This, this, I'm not sure how far out I go. I'm not sure I go all the way out to where they're driving golf carts to the grocery store. <laughs> but I'm going pretty far out to places that like are named after tires or a shocked expression on your face. Okay. Um, I, 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 I describe my home because it's my home. I live here 12 months. This is it. This is where I say this is Alaska with much better weather. This, this is where people go to be left alone, to invent or reinvent themselves. Um, this is a place where space matters a lot. But, Michael, in a place where space matters a lot, community as we 
often define it as harder to create. And an arts community needs a community. So is it hard to be a part of an arts community in a place where community is so messed up? Well, I guess I, I've taken the view being here that uh, anybody doing arts here has to take them, has to see themselves as a, a foundation layer and as a cultural uh, standard bearer. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of industry or, or even, even Arizona State University, since there are four of you on this panel, um, I think that's one of the great things about what ASU does. But I think as far as culture goes, I think where Phoenix is right now, uh, Metro Phoenix, uh, everybody that's involved, if they want it to be really fantastic, has to see themselves as an actual leader rather than as just the uh, beneficiary of, of work that's already been done. One thing I really like about Los Angeles, I have to say, is not necessarily the individual aspects of their culture, since that's kind of my world, but I love that they do have a, I do love that they have a brand about their culture, that there's a feeling about their culture, a, vi a, a sense of what the vibrancy and, and, the, and the energy is, and that's something I hope for Phoenix going right. forward, that eventually Phoenix will have its, will have a vibe that everybody can, that they know what they're getting themselves into, they know what that pulse feels like. It doesn't have to be turbocharged like LA, but I like the fact that they have it. And that's one thing that I, I right. hope that in, if, if Phoenix could strive to be LA culturally, it would be to establish, um, it, to establish that pulse and to um, be known for whatever that pulse is. Uh, let, me, let me ask something about that. How much of that has to do with maturity? With, I mean, we are, one of the other things I say to my, you know, you drive by restaurants, they've been serving great food since a week ago. Or, yeah. I mean, th there, there is this sense of, of everywhere we go and everything we do here that it's new. And that a lot of us, you know, I've lived here four and a half years and mm -hmm. longer and here and there and about and, and so on, 20 years. And, but um, we, don't, we don't know old Phoenix particularly well, many of us. Yeah, but to what extent does maturity matter? But, but when you were saying at the beginning that almost all of us are transplants, the thing that's so curious to me is that everybody that's come from some place has come from a more mature place right. in that respect. So my question is, well, why is it so hard for people to say, let's make this a more mature place? But isn't it, is it, it one of the uh, things that is said about here in the arts, may be true or it may be just the sort of mythology of the place is that people uh, actually send their money to the Chicago Symphony Absolutely or the Boston sure. Symphony yes. or I, and I, I actually learned earlier tonight that they ultimately will send themselves back right. to on their death back to Boston or Chicago or Cleveland or mm -hmm. wherever it is that is home this is a place people come to but is it a place that is their home and if it's not is, is there something just totally academic about having a conversation about community and defining aspirations and all these other things? Because honestly, it's not what people want. That's the question. I think the downtown Phoenix arts community is a great microcosm for how that sense of community is developing and really has matured. I moved here in 1996 and there was a very popular joke. What's the difference between Phoenix and yogurt? The answer is yogurt has culture. 
<laughs> we've really seen a change in that in terms of the, the burgeoning of a really grassroots movement to connect the urban community through the arts, through culture, to create a dense pedestrian environment, and it's attracted a lot of energy, a lot of investment, and a lot of care and love from the people that are involved in that. And I think as that movement continues to grow and expand, as the university expands, as more people move into the downtown community, that growth that we've seen over a relatively short period of time really transformed communities downtown. I think that's a great indicator of what can happen in Phoenix. And, and I think that sense of opportunity is one of the things that defines Phoenix as a place. And I would argue that the recession actually had a huge motivational um, impetus for that development, especially in the last couple of years, because I live right down there. And it is, it is remarkable what's and ha changed. Having just come from Chicago, which has, of course, everything that that yogurt has, plenty of culture, right? But, but it, in spite of the fact that they're expanding their museums and people are giving money back who might live here to institutions there or, or in other places, uh, I was delighted to come back here. And, and I'm with Michael. The downturn caused things to happen here that were really uh, inspiring. For example, the number of new restaurants opened by very young chefs because the downturn made it possible to rent that storefront right. and to buy that restaurant equipment or to do whatever else they had to do. I loved coming back here from Chicago to participate in the culture here, that one aspect of it. So things can happen here more spontaneously than they could in those older places with that legacy, if you will. I actually think that, I mean, as painful as it is, and it's as painful here as it probably is it anywhere other than maybe Florida, parts of Florida and Las Vegas, that the recession gives us an opportunity, whether we'll take advantage of it or not. Um, and uh, the university is part, there are a lot of people who are players in whether this happens, it seems to me. But it gives us an opportunity, this pause, to consolidate the extraordinary growth mm -hmm. and change that has uh, gone on here for the last 20 years. And uh, part of the reason, I, I, th I think it takes a while to feel like a place is your home, to engage in its politics or its art or its to fall in love with its uh, sports teams. Right. or I mean, these are all the things that, to me, uh, make community. Now, um, it takes a while. And when things are changing really fast, as they have over the last 20 years or so here, um, it's easier in some respects just to stay a Yankee fan or, I mean, honestly, I mean, it's like too hard. So to the, there's a lot of oddity to this. I mean, so I'd call people's attention on this point to Laddie Coor and the Center for the Future of Arizona did a survey and found that Ari people in Arizona actually have a higher than normal attachment to Arizona. Yeah, they so love Arizona, the night, but they have a lower attachment to their community. Right? That they, they love this place, but they don't necessarily care that much about who's around them. Um, which is an interesting. It's an interesting. First of all, I'm not sure how different that is than LA, um, but that's an interesting. That's an interesting conundrum. And and the question of what makes you care about the people around you. I think is unresolved. It may be a sacrilegious thing to say given the panel, but I'm not sure that the fact of having a museum or a symphony or an opera makes that, I'm not sure if that's chicken or egg or even but I th irrelevant. But I, th I think that results in the fact that this is also two different places because when I was in Chicago and I saw how people were understanding Arizona through the media, I'd say, that's not the Arizona I know. So you have to have a sense of what you love that's close by, that you care passionately about, whatever district that's in or whatever the, the sector is that you're talking about. But the context in which this is happening is not necessarily all that appealing from my point of view and disconnected from that other part. 
I think our basic housing structure also uh, would probably attribute to some of that lack of sense of community. We went from when we were 30,000 people in Phoenix, homes at a front porch, people drove up into the back of the house and spent time in the front yard. Now with a detached single family home with a garage, you drive in and you may never see the people living on either side of you. And right. so that's been the majority that's of housing That's true, but that's not uniquely us. I mean, there are, honestly, there are um, um, lots of communities in lots of parts of the country where honestly neighbors do not know neighbors, mm -hmm. where uh, they don't even have the like community mail, where you go down and get your mail and you might accidentally run into one of your neighbors <laughs> and actually have to have a conversation with them. Oh, you're in 228, huh? Um, so that can't, I mean, do I think that's part of it? Of course it's part of it. So is a lot of empty space. So is the distance from here to there, which can, all of these things are part of it. I guess what I wonder is, is any one part of it unique or is the uniqueness the fact that we seem to have all of those things? We have a, a ton of space, we live on acre lots or half acre lots or whatever, I mean, and people send their money back to Boston and, so, and all of these things happen here and all of it contributes to a sense that you're on your own. You're on your own, maybe you're housing development, but frankly those people are pretty annoying. You don't like this color and you can't do that. And so what makes us, that's the thing, is that we got the whole Megillah, as my grandmother would say. You know, it's interesting where we are in points in our lives. I have two sons who are 23 and 20. And when they had a choice, and we spent 20 years in Boston, where they grew up for the majority of their lives, when they had a choice to go back there to school or stay here, this was feeling like home to them, and one of them really wanted to be here. The other one wanted to go to California. They were not going back because they were at a different point in their careers. For us, we're self-consciously thinking about everything we've done and whether this is now going to be home or not. They're not thinking that way. They've adopted it because they're at that point. They can look at it differently. And I think one of the nice things about <clears throat> Phoenix now uh, when you when you look at those downtown establishments, or even uh, the amazing establishments around uh, the, cent the the central corridor, Camelback, La Grande Orange, I mean, all those kinds of places, the the one nice thing about that you can be siloed if you if you choose, but increasingly, you can go out and you can you can actually say to somebody standing in the line, "Hey, uh, I thought I saw you here last week," and then they're engaged in a conversation. So actually. I, the nice thing is there really is a nice evolution going on. Whether the whole community is going to glom onto that and say, oh, well, we're just going to be all very friendly and go out to restaurants all the time, or, or what I think is more likely to happen... It's totally terrified. Right. <laughs> or is what is more likely to happen, I hope, is that there will be enough of a critical mass for each way of life that people can come here and say, I would like a more cosmopolitan culture, therefore... And, and I can find this area and it's going to be fantastic, or I can go find, I can play on one of the 200 golf courses. In that way, I almost wonder if it will become a little bit more like Los Angeles, um, except that we'll maybe be able to um, predestine what some of those regions are going to be, Cause, you know, which, which areas are going to be more that way, whereas I think LA, probably those things were a bit more fit and they were put together a little bit more uh, diff more in a more difficult fashion, just over time. I, I wonder. I, I want to talk about something. I want to talk about people in a second. I want to ask a question about geography. It just when you were talking, I, it made me wonder if if maybe we have an expectation. You talk about a Phoenix that's actually quite small. 
I mean, relative to the amount of what I think of Phoenix, I, I gave a speech out in Goodyear, okay, and I did it. Uh, uh, it it's a huge, it, it, it takes you from my house in North Scottsdale to that speech was, it's still in Phoenix in my mind. Okay. Your Phoenix is much smaller, the one you just described. Is there a limit to what community can be that is measured by size? That we can't be a community. We can't. Greater Phoenix is just too damn big. There's too much that separates us. There's too many differences. And then what we really want to strive for is maybe with the San Fernando Valley, the LA, I mean, sort of a few little pockets of community, maybe the best we can get, and we ought to be happy with that. We no. have to, first of all, you have to want to be, you have to want to be one place. Right, we were saying, a person from Mesa doesn't want to say they're from Phoenix. Right. Um, they, would never, they would never represent themselves that way, I don't think, unless maybe they were on the other side of the world and they want it to be understood. Whereas the joke, the, you know, the jokes in LA, or I guess this is true in New York, about wanting to have the 213 area code right. so you're not seen as an outsider. You know, the same thing as, you know, I grew up in the Bronx. We were horrified when we were all of a sudden 718. Um, that, that was a horrible thing. So because you were not New Yorkers because, anymore. Yeah, you know, your identity was bound up in being 212. Um, and this was like, uh, you know, an existential crisis. Um, so that made a fabulous episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> I, I don't think really? it's about I don't think it's about scale at all, really. You do not. I, I think it's about inevitability or the appearance thereof. You know, there's a reason why New Orleans is where New Orleans is, or why L.A. is where L.A. is. Being up against something, almost every great city we know has some relationship to water which in turn had something to do with transportation. So the scale of Phoenix is not the issue. It's essentially an island. It's virtually surrounded on all sides by eventually nothingness. Whereas when you're in LA, you might not know where it stops and pretty soon you're in something else and something else and the next thing you know you're in San Francisco. It's, it's not that it's scale, but this is an island place. And, you, and to, you have to get comfortable with the idea that you're on an island. I think it's not about scale. It's that feature that makes this place different. But why would that... Um, not surprisingly, okay, I hadn't thought of that. Um, why would that limit our a sense, any sense, of community or not community? In some respects, I think it would almost the isolation, you know, the fact that we are isolated from everything, we were just plopped down here, would make us more connected, not less connected. I think it's the, because it's not clear why we're here or here, or here because of those bodies of water or something else, doesn't allow us to be like, let's say, New Orleans, which is also an island of sorts, right. but it had to be at the mouth of Mississippi, so the culture there grows up around the inevitability of that place. Phoenix feels provisional in a certain way. It could be here or there or elsewhere, and we haven't created internally the culture that says, isn't that fantastic? That's never now not going to keep moving forward because of what they've built there. We're not at that point yet. Um, let me, in, in each of your spheres, I, I want to talk about uh, people for a second. The, the, in the cities I've lived in, I've lived in, I grew up in, in the Midwest in Minneapolis, a small town Minnesota, but I'll say Minneapolis same way that they say Phoenix. Um, um, and I lived in Seattle and, and lived in New York and, and now here. In those other places, there were identifiable movers and shakers. There were the people in Seattle, the, the 
Weyerhaeusers and the Bill Boeings, it was long before the Microsoft money came in. There were Pillsbury's in, in Minnesota. There were movers and shakers who made those cities cities. Do they exist here? Not in that format. When that format being human beings? No, no the, for, the format being, I'm doing a little work in Kansas City. So the, the Kaufmans or the Halls, each of which are associated with major industries and built Fortune 5 companies, and then the fortunes that grew out of those begat family foundations, and a sense of obligation, it's also true in Minneapolis, to build the cultural institutions home here. Uh, and, and to really make their cities become something. The, the way that this community has been built around development doesn't inspire the same, same kind of uh, company that you can see, a Fortune 500 with a CEO that has an obligation to give back in the same way. John, your take is just slightly so I think, different. So from what, and, uh, it's funny, right, because none of us are from here, so I can't speak to the, the ancient the ancient phoenix that was before, but I'm my sure he didn't is, mean ancient in the way you take <laughs> my it. Understand, my understanding is there was a time when there was a business establishment there in was. Phoenix that drove the that drove the agenda of the city. The Phoenix and, 40. Right, exactly, and defined the city, and that sort of broke down. Now, why it broke down is right. an interesting question. I think part of it has to do with the acquisition of locally based companies by national companies, and so yes. once upon a time there were Phoenix-based banks, and they were acquired. Now they report to Charlotte or or to New York, and so they don't have the same investment in the community, and mm -hmm. quite frankly, the person who's dispatched to run the Phoenix back office doesn't care about what happens in Phoenix because they're looking forward to a promotion. But I don't think that it's true that there never was that sort of center of gravity. Maybe it's just dissipated. In well, that's what I mean. In the, in the other places, it hasn't dissipated. No, that's what I mean by building something substantial. And I'm not suggesting their contributions weren't substantial. But the companies and everything, that the byproducts resulting from that that are still in place in a Minneapolis or a Kansas City or pick a few others, it isn't here in the same format. It does, certainly doesn't mean that there isn't great generosity on the part of those people who are always the ones giving to the libraries, the hospitals, the universities, right. and every other cultural institution. But it's a small list, and that's true in a lot of cities as well. In, in, um, in Seattle, um, in, uh, uh, there was great angst about the fact that the new wealth in Seattle, the Microsoft millionaires and all the millionaires that the Microsoft spawned, the new wealth in Seattle was not active in, was, was not generous to the symphony and not uh, patrons of the arts and in the same way that the old, that old Seattle was. And I sus suspect that's true. So is generate, gener does, does age matter here? Does the time and grade matter? Did you have to grow up here, go to school here, be a product of whatever the here is? Do you have to be a Chandler in LA to be connected to in such a way that you will change the course of your community, insist on change? Well, I think there are, well, there are a couple of things. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> I, I think there are a lot of people here that have enormous resources, even that were developed here. Um, I find in, in, in my own stewardship of the arts here, uh, a lot of people say, I don't want to do it by myself. I.e., I don't want my family to be, I don't want my, uh, if it was my family, which sadly it isn't, I don't want it to be the Christie Art Museum. I want it to be more and more people involved. We'll use your money, call it the Brown Museum. I could. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, that's just an example. And I've, I've heard that time and time again. Well, if, if my family 
gave uh, 50 million or 100 million to endow this, then we'll be attacked by every other institution. Um, but if there was a consortium, that kind of thing, and then that consortium never quite materializes. The other thing that I think is also interesting about the, the age of our community is that we have not actually experienced the first generation of um, substantial wealth builders passing away. When you think about it, all right, we know, we know about Piper, Virginia Piper, uh, and we know about a couple of other foundations, but really when you think about the big philanthropists in town, they're in their late 60s to 80s. And so we haven't actually had major family estates pass into the community to see what actually is the true agenda of these families. So that's a very, it's very interesting. I think in the next, I, I, well, I hope these people live forever because I know a lot of them and they're wonderful, but you know, time and humanity being what it is, I think there's gonna be some revelations that happen in the next 10 to 15 years about where those, where those estates end up Driving. That's a really great point. And that harkens back to the question about maturity. And in some sense, as a younger community, we don't have that second generation of wealth that's been reinvested through a connection to this place. And that will change over time. And I can tell you, being at the university and now in the foundation, when we look at our alumni base, and we were just visiting some other universities by comparison in North Carolina where they've got legacies that are two centuries, three centuries, and of course Harvard at four centuries, our alumni base is one of the, it's very large, recently established because we really only became a university in the 50s, but it's very youthful and those people also haven't had a chance to accumulate wealth in the same way or think of themselves as philanthropists in the way that we uh, need them to. And so we're having to imagine our appeal and why we're working so hard at ASU to establish what we are to others across the country who care about our issues, who may not be connected to us as alums. So you try and get people who have no connection to the university to contribute to the university because it's a great university. Because of issues where they believe we are leaders. And, and it's do they make, this is off point, but do they make issue-specific donations? We want this yes. money to go to, we're getting let's in, say, the Cronkite Chair of Journalism. Yeah, we're getting yeah. in the door of people. <laughs> <laughs> Just as an idea. <laughs> I wonder where you came up with that. Uh, we're, we're making headway with people in Silicon Valley because they appreciate where the future of education is going to have to be and it's not going to look like what it has been in the past and they've changed industries and they see reflections of themselves in what we're doing. Um, I've got a bit of time left. I'm going to talk about a couple specific things. Um, my, I have a 23-year-old daughter. I would be perfectly happy, honestly, if she were had, had gone to Arizona State University. I had, I, I believe in it, I believe in its leadership, and uh, it, at least pockets of it, I think, are, f are fabulous. I mean, it's, it's a big institution. I would not be happy if she were going to K-12 here. Um, and if I owned a business, I do not believe I would bring my business here because my workers' kids are not getting the kind of education that they need. And I wanna know, in the political environment, in a leadership vacuum that we have talked about, how that changes. With the uh, election of Greg Stanton in Phoenix, education is a major uh, platform for him. And, and how much, role and, 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 and how much, I'm sorry, how much money does he actually control? Can he do anything but uh, beg the legislature to change the formula, to change the game? Because honestly, begging sucks. 
That's an artistic term, but it's, it's a bully uh, pulpit opportunity. But again, it's recognizing the critical role that K through 12 education plays in all of those economic development strategies that we're concerned in. Again, yeah. downtown Phoenix is a fantastic example because 10 years ago, there were not quality schools that you could send your kids. Today, we have two of the highest performing schools in the state of Arizona, the Bioscience High School and the Arizona School for the Arts are two of the best schools in the city now located in downtown, which creates that new K through 12 educational opportunity. I actually thought it was funny when President Obama was in town yesterday at Intel because it was only within the last year that Craig Barrett said famously in the newspaper, mm -hmm. if I knew, if I was to be locating Intel in this community now, I wouldn't do it. Right. And I just thought, oh my gosh, right. I, wonder if, I wonder if Obama's going to bring this up. Right. He didn't bring it up. Maybe he didn't know about it. But that, that would be sort of folks. tasteless, wouldn't it? Well, uh. it would be. <laughs> but it was just, it was very, it was very, it was very, it was very telling. Um, yeah, and I think, I think people have to make decisions about those kinds of things. It's, you know, my family, we're, we are moving on. My daughter's three, but um, we didn't have to make, we didn't have to take a look at the education system necessarily for, for us, but it is a big question. It's a big, big question for this community because it's getting to be big enough that there are enough age, there's enough of an age spread where people have choice and they have, and, and unfortunately Arizona has shown its hand um, in this particular area with not much, not many other cards evidently in the deck. Yeah, but no, I, 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 I spent the day with 600 developers in this area sitting where you are with panels and this issue was drilled into their heads uh, about every hour on the hour. If you don't create an attractive place for families to raise their children, the people that you want to be in these high-paying Intel jobs, which right. are six figures, it's not going to work. You've got to change the recipe here. And people so, are understanding that. So I, I think there are a couple of things on this, and just also to tie it into the, the topic at large. First of all, I think it's interesting to, po to point out Craig and Barbara Barrett, right? People who are vested in the community, Absolutely. trying to address the school issue, right? Not just sort of saying, all right, where right. can I send my kid? Um, I think so. I think it's important when, when given the opportunity to recognize that there are people who have a broader vision of the community and want to reinvest in it. Um, I also think that as a community matures, this type of issue is something that can garner support. I, 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 it's easy to sort of say, well, big deal, the one cent ballot initiative didn't mean a whole heck of a lot. It was one well, penny. Well, I thought it was a big deal, actually. But there are not a lot of places in the United States where people vote to increase their own taxes, even a little bit. Um, and so I think that, and it was an odd thing, right? Because that happened, what was that, a month or a, a few, not long after SB 1070, interesting contradictory signals about what this state's about. So I don't know, I, I don't know that the political system is well meshed with what the community values are, but what it suggests is that there are community values and that public education is an expression of a belief in community and an attachment for the future. It, it has all of those attributes to it. So I think you can, you can rightfully be distressed about this aspect, but you also can see some glimmers of the community that we're suggesting doesn't exist emerging around this, around this issue. No, I, and, and actually I, t uh, uh, I did. I actually took it that way. I thought I, I might see this just slightly differently from a, a political or public policy point of view, which is that people, in fact, will vote to raise their own taxes if they know where the money is going. Right. Uh, if I were, if I were a, 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 a politician, God help me, please. Uh, <laughs> that is not going to happen, no matter who asks. Um, 
I, one of the things I would say is I, there are a lot of little initiatives I would run, but I would attach them to something. This money, dollar for dollar, will go for that. The reason that that penny uh, uh, mattered and, and easily won, it wasn't close, I mean, it just walked away, and, uh, was because people knew exactly where it was going. And uh, I think to, to some extent, even people who do not have children in school uh, understood that we can't, we, we can't mature you know, in any reasonable way uh, if we compete, if we race to the bottom with Alabama or Mississippi. I mean, that, for, forget whether there's a, a music program in the school. Those left a long time ago, sadly, I, I suppose. But so, uh, yeah, I, I think people, at some level, this is their home. They're becoming, it's why I, I keep coming back to this idea, we need time. We need, we, we need a pause here to, to you, you're shaking your head. You're shaking your head. <laughs> this, is, this is why it's not television. <laughs> <laughs> we need this time to consolidate who we are, to become what it is we're going to be. Maybe we won't. Well, here's the big, here's the big thing. When you look at Phoenix historically, it's always kind of done this with varying size dips, crests and troughs. So now the question really is, so we've hit, we're in some kind of bizarre trough, um, which, but as a result, we've seen some fantastic uh, entrepreneurial efforts, Absolutely. business, society, I think. And, 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 and that extends to politics too. That, that vote is one great example. Um, so now the question is, is that, is this next little bit of the roller coaster, which every community goes on, is this going to be one of these, or if it's, is it going to be like this? And that's, I think that's going to be the telling question about how, how, what kind of scale community or what kind of investment is going to be, is to see where, whether this community is going to seize on this moment and how far they're going to take it in one direction or the other. And it's not really just a matter of time. It's who shows up in that time period. If, if you read Tom Friedman's new book, That Used to Be Us, which talks about where we used to be and now we seem to have envy for China and others, he ends the book by talking about people who just don't get it. They don't care about what's happened. They're going to plow ahead. And I would certainly put President Crow, for example, in that category. Doesn't care about how you got to this position. If you look at well, how he's advanced the agenda of the university and thus the region over 10 years, it's extraordinary. He just doesn't care about why it can't happen. And so the time is about having people who show up to do those kinds of things that transform the community. Tom Friedman, he would be the other journalist from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. He would, <laughs> as, I, yeah. as I like to think of him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the lesser. The lesser. The lesser. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, but yes. Um, <laughs> do you have a microphone? Do you have a microphone? This woman right here. Okay. Yeah, you. Yeah, head shaker. Uh, just give her the microphone. Thank you. Tell me why you were shaking your head. Oh, I, I wasn't necessarily disagreeing with what you said. You were, were shaking your head. That's a sign of disagreement. <laughs> I was wondering, though, how much climate and our tax base has to do with this conversation. One tends to go to a community that has something of value. Right. And when you're an older population, you gravitate to what is of value to you in that context. I'm wondering Whether's what you think about. Whether it's good taxes, low. To low taxes, 
and fairly decent climate. So um, the How does that handshake play? is uh, to what, help me, if I, if I screw this up seriously, just say no, it's not what I meant. To what extent does the demographics of, do our demographics uh, dictate who we are and where we're going or, or what we're going to be? I mean, um, and, and let me add just a, a titch to that. Do we misunderstand to some degree our demographics? I say we absolutely, not, not only do we misunderstand, but we misrepresent our demographics in this state because we're a much more diverse community than I think we recognize or we give ourselves credit for. And in part, it's because we're a relatively young community. Unlike a lot of older urban cities, we haven't aggregated demographic populations by area. And so we're fairly dispersed in terms of our, our ethnic diversity, for example, economic diversity less so. But I think we're a very diverse place, and we don't tell that story very well at all, especially in the media. So, so that's I, something that I had the opportunity to tell this audience today, which looked like the development community. Do you realize last week there was a similarly charged up discussion about what we're going to be as a region, and none of the people in this room were there, and none of the people in that room are present today. The demographics that represent those who were at the Carver School last week talking about Bird on Fire, Andrew Ross's uh, rec uh, book on the recent history of Phoenix, they are going to be the future of Phoenix, and they're avidly interested in what it's going to become. They need to be included in these discussions. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, it, it just goes to show you, you, have, you don't have a lot to do. Going, going from one event where people are talking to another. Uh, what do you all want to talk about? Who, do you have questions? All right. Thank you all for coming. Uh, hello. It's so wonderful to be back in Scottsdale. This is my hometown. Um, at this moment, we are going to open it up to you all for questions. Uh, just a quick reminder, all our, our discussion is recorded on audio and video podcasts. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And two of us will go be going around with mics, so please raise your hand and wait for us to get to you. I have your first question on the right. Um, Michael Cronenfeld. Um, <clears throat> you're talking about a model of cultural that's kind of like, I guess, a lot of, of eastern cities where you have a core to city and that's the core to cultural um, focus of the city. Is not maybe our cultural model here a little different as everything else is? Look in the last few years, you had the Mesa Center for the Arts, you had the Chandler, you had the major, major revision in the Scottsdale Center for the Arts. And maybe our model is more of a dispersed model where we see things happening at lo different locations as opposed to the core. Would you not see that as, as maybe the model more than as opposed to focusing on the Phoenix core? Well, certainly the uh, the Musical Instrument Museum is another example in the in the in the north part of of the city. So yeah, there's certainly, I, I think, you know, from from a core perspective, the the interesting thing for for uh, that I have to recognize uh, is if you want to have a certain level of performer, at least in yeah. my case, you do have to be able to offer uh, at least a livable wage <laughs> in certain conditions for someone to bring their family. So that's why the core thing. Is, is easiest for, for us to talk about um, as far as my business, but of course we're, we're, we at the symphony are looking at this already and saying, gosh, you know, there's, there are reasons that people don't come from Cave Creek all the way to downtown and how do we deal with that? So I, I would agree there's cultural centers and, and all of that, but then it's a question, maybe we have to look at it as there's a core of place, but then there's going to have to be a core of people and, that, and to have enough of a thriving artistic community that people are going to want to come here and create even if they create in different areas within our 
metropolitan confines is going to be tricky. Question to your left. My name is Regina Best. This is a quick question. I am a native of Phoenix. How many of you here are natives? I just wanted to know. Some of us are. <laughs> I, it's like I, I believe that, that there are people like you. <laughs> I've read about them. <laughs> I had a TA who was old Phoenix family. But that doesn't change the fact that many are not. Right? What generation? What generation? So I find that to be unusual. I've met people who are, you know, fifth generation or sixth generation Arizonans, and I've met people who got here five years ago, but not a lot in between. I don't know why that is. Do you think <laughs> it um, uh, seriously that it changes? Uh, you've called this home your whole life. I mean, does it? You've watched everything that's happened, and I. It, it, does it change your view of it all? The fact that that you grew up here. How, give her, thank you. How so? Because I have, because this is my history, yeah. I kind of grew up with the city. I'm kind of the same age Phoenix is. The suburbs were being built a few years before I came along, but we're about the same age. And so this is my history, and I chose to stay here. I didn't come from somewhere else. Yeah. I'm not sending my money somewhere else. So I have a vested emotional, psychological interest in helping this, this be a fine place to live because it's my home. So I do have a different perspective. I find just with people in my world that my attitude is much different because I live here 12 months a year. This is my home. I don't have the, no more New York home. I, that's gone. I mean, this, this is home. And I absolutely think it changes one's view. And I, I, we, not so kiddingly, or we were talking earlier, but people send money back to Boston. And when they die, they send themselves back to Boston because they, this is never home. And I, that, that's a hurdle that I can't quite, I, I don't, I, I, and what it must be for you is, I think, quite remarkable. I mean, I can't. It makes me kind of sad. Yeah, no. I hear that someone's sent themselves back to Boston. I, I think, really? <laughs> they were here for 75 years. How could this not be home? So. <laughs> we have another question on your right. My name is Peter Newton. I'm not from Phoenix, but I would like to make it my home, uh, provided the economy comes back. My question is kind of building on your question, Aaron, about uh, locally generated wealth, something I've been thinking about for nine months, of how we don't necessarily have those generations of locally generated wealth yet, but also there's the outside wealth that comes in. So much of Phoenix is based on speculation, whether it's a speculative office building, speculative homes, and so how does that play into development and what we're doing as far as outside wealth coming in just to make a buck and get out? I think part of Arizona has been a history of extraction, whether it's mining or housing development. I think about Eli Broad's museum. He's building in downtown LA. He's the B of KB Homes, and a lot of the houses that we have in our, our suburban fringe are building his museum uh, in downtown Los Angeles. So it's not all a question of new wealth being reinvested in this community. I think that's a trend that we want to focus on and make sure more people like Ira Fulton, who really makes a concerted investment in this community, we support as well. So, Question to your left. I'm Jack Anderson, and I'm also a native. 
who's been back for seven months after 13 years in Los Angeles, so I could talk for oh, about yeah. the next hour You're about like why Phoenix is not LA guy. and why <laughs> yeah. vice versa. But I'm going to boil it down to one issue that I want the panel to address, and that's the idea of cultural diversity. My networking group in LA had Japanese, Koreans, Asians, several people who were Native Africans, Jamaican, Ukrainian, Croatian, very culturally diverse, very positive. My group here has two guys from India and two guys from Mexico. And I find the general attitude here just to be different in what? the level of acceptance we have for international people in Los Angeles compared to what I, what I see here in Phoenix. Why did those people choose to make LA their home? I, I'm going to say Hollywood. <laughs> really? If, if, if we were going to boil it down to one answer, I think that would be the reason that LA's got that because they knew glamour, the, worldwide glamour. They knew of the city through Hollywood, not that they were aspiring actors. They, they knew the both, city because both. of Hollywood. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's the subject matter of the, just the, the idea of cultural diversity and how strong it is in Los Angeles and how I feel that it's just not accepted here. I think there's, you know, even the national press that we get based upon immigration policies and what Arizona feels about that and so forth. I, well, it is I would like to be honest. I'm not to get defensive on this because I, why, but that is, it's not like that's not a story. I, I mean, it, it's not the only story and it's not the only way to define ourselves and all of that. But how we as a community are dealing with this question is a story of national interest. And it, it'd be crazy from a journalistic point of view to not write it. I mean, there was a standoff at the airport yesterday between the governor and the president of the United States. This is a front burner issue. This is not a small issue. It's gonna, it's gonna be a, a very possibly defining issue in the presidential campaign. And I, you know, it may be uncomfortable for people here that that's how people see us, okay? Mm -hmm. But that's a real issue, and if you're the reporter, you are, I'm sorry, I, I'm writing that, and I am assigning students to think about it and trying to get them to come up with new ways to figure it out. Why now? Why is this happening now? It's a very complicated question, but it's a real question, and it's in our lap, like it or not. Well, I think, but I think the answer to the question is why? Why is it right? I mean, so I think, and I, I think part of it is that you have these cleavages that sometimes cross in other places, don't cross in here, right? So, race and ethnicity, and the divisions there correlate very well with div divisions in education, divisions in wealth. Right, so, and, and divisions in space, right? We're, we're spatially segregated. So all of those things, which obviously those differences exist everywhere, but I think, and I could be wrong, but I think those things are very well correlated in this area. And so you don't even have a lot of interaction with that. So I, I, you know, when you talk about the diversity on paper of Phoenix is impressive, right? You talk to people, you know, the number of languages spoken here and the number of countries represented in the, I was talk, talking with the superintendent of the Phoenix High Schools, the number of countries of origin represented in the public high schools in Phoenix, extraordinary. But I have the same experience, I don't, where, I don't meet those people. Um, and so I, I just think that there's, there are these differences of space and, and, that, and then you map that onto the question of density, right? So density, you're forced to deal with this. In New York, you interact with those people with nothing else on the subway. Right, and we don't. We don't. Have, what's what's the sort of social equivalent of the subway here? 
Um, and so I do think that makes a little bit of a difference. Not that you all of a sudden become best friends with everybody there on the subway car with, but at least you're aware that there are other populations around you. Um, and I, I think that that's just part of the difference in the way we are distributed geographically and so on. It, it just it doesn't allow for, it doesn't provide as much interaction across those divides. We have another question on your right. Yes, hello. My name is Benedict Torrington, and I'm a transplant from France and um, then L.A., where I lived for 15 years. And um, my question is um, to the panel, what do you think about the current Phoenix urban planning situation or their lack of? And um, more importantly, what would you do specifically with urban planning in Phoenix if you had um, all the money in the world and decision power to make changes and create community? This is your. It's like a softball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we call you the. Know, this is curve. this is an archipelago. Yeah. Uh, you, you've got, as the the gentleman behind you described, you've got 32 or plus or minus municipalities competing for cultural resources and everything else. If you started from scratch, which is not quite an answer to your question, you certainly would not array yourself across this many square miles and with that many uh, uh, boundaries which are simply uh, artificial. It makes it really hard to plan. And so the Brookings Institution right now is taking a look at developing a business plan for this region and surely the number one hurdle is cooperation between municipalities where tax revenue and everything else causes each of them want to see, want to see themselves as a new and future downtown. It's really, really difficult. But by way of comparison, Los Angeles has 80 municipalities and 130 unincorporated areas over 4,000 square miles. Mm -hmm. so there's also a tremendous amount of com uh, competition among those municipalities. But it begins with an edge. The water's edge, you know, you know when you're in Santa Monica and you know when you're downtown, and you know how the city was built because it was a port at one time, which also leads to the diversity question. It was a port at one time and it grew that way, whereas we are drawing lines on maps often driven by development interests, not by geographic interests. So I actually think, so I basically agree with Duke's vision, you know, the sort of the implicit vision of what a city is. But I also at the same time, I think there's a critical difference between LA and Phoenix and the, in the history dimension. It's not just that it's young, right? LA started as a city in sort of an East Coast city. It sort of looked like an East Coast city. You Absolutely. can go to downtown LA, and, it, and it's funny, right? Because I go there and the part that I like the best is the part that looks the most like New York. Broadway was um, the Wall Street right? of the West. But, but the difference is that, yeah, it sprawled, but it sprawled after it had this core. Right. Um, Phoenix sprawled, it's just, its growth was sprawl, it is sprawl. So, so I think that the idea of a, if, you're, if, we, if we sort of are looking for a model of Phoenix urbanism, it has to be a distinctive that's right. model of urbanism that is Phoenix, right? So that's why I think the idea of building a 20-story apartment building in downtown Phoenix where people buy condos, eh, I just don't see that happening. But there can be models of dense, I, I think of a model of, and it has, to, it, has to be, it has to be consistent with the reasons why people end up in Arizona, right? right. So I think, I, People want to have a place where they can go in their fenced-in backyard, and that's part of it, and have their grill, right? And and if you don't build if you don't build a model of urbanism that includes that, right. it's not going to take off. And so I and I believe in all these things, and I think there are assets that we can exploit, and 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 there are lots of good things we can do. But it can't be mapping other types of urbanism onto Phoenix. That's not gonna that's not gonna work. And I just want to make clear, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm not suggesting you do that. And and if you read documents about Chicago and you read what people were saying about that city and the sprawl 
And it, you'd think you were reading about descriptions of Phoenix mm -hmm. today, but it began with a core. That is never going to happen right. here. We are going to wind up with a multi-centered something or other. Uh, we'll have to come up with a better name for what it is. But the planning uh, mechanisms that you might use in a conventionally core-driven city are not going to work here. So there's well, a lot we've of invention. we got to invent this. We ha we're going to have to invent this. Yes, we are. There's no model we can follow. There's no, there are rules, but there are... People have called it connected centers and a variety of other uh, things to come up with how we're going to deal with this, but we haven't really got a plan for it. And just, just because I uh, want to know, the people who will be involved in that, uh, the university uh, have a role in that? I would Absolutely. Hope. The, the would, university I mean, I has think Michael said, would go, well, but that's, go crazy. That's why the university not, so. has four campuses. Right. It recognizes it's not possible to have a campus in one place in a region that is so multi-centered, so we have to be multi-centered as well. We are responding to but that. But so uh, some of the thinking uh, uh, has to come from universities. Who else, has to, who else are the thinkers who are going to help us define this, or is this just an academic, I don't mean just in a... It's, it's hardly academic, and it would have to be, let's say, for example, the Maricopa Association of Governments, because transportation is destiny around here, and their primary uh, obligation is to make sure that cars, unfortunately, they focus more on cars, get from one place to the other. So roads and transportation thinking are the, probably the top of mind issue for MAG. We have another We're question to your left. Yeah. Um, folks, this will be our last question for the evening before we've run out of time. Uh, you're all invited to our reception afterwards where you can talk with our guests and panel about tonight's topic. We would like to thank, Zokolo would like to thank the SMOCA for so graciously hosting us tonight, as well as our uh, media sponsor, KJZZ, for being our media sponsor. My name is Howard Hendler, and I'm addressing my comment to Mr. Brown. I think it's unfortunate that you mentioned three times this evening that more and that many people in this community send their money and their bodies back to places that they came from. If you leave the confines of ASU and check out donor boards at the, at the various institutions or playbills at any cultural event, certainly Michael Christie knows the name Herberger. There are many, many families here that uh, are newcomers that uh, haven't been born here who support all of the cultural uh, facilities of the city and for the young people here I wouldn't want them to feel that what you said is a truism because it really isn't a truism. Uh, well if you want to pick a fight we can pick a fight. I mean I, <laughs> I, I'm not really inclined to but I, I would just go back to how this issue came up. It didn't come up uh, respectfully, as a as a, a statement on, uh, from me, it came up as a question to Michael: Is this a problem for you? To which he said yes. So, if you want to pick a fight, pick a fight with him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just the dude that asked the question. Uh, thank you. You guys were great. It was fun. <laughs>